Good morning, so glad you've joined us today because we are starting a new series we're really excited about. And we've been through a tough seven weeks together with a global pandemic. And uh, initially, we're just kind of dealing with our own fears and, and looking to hope in scriptures. And that was great help to us to remind ourselves that God is in control and he is good. Then we went to uh, the barrier series and we really addressed some tough questions. And I've been hearing from a lot of different sources that we're now at week seven and experiencing um, this tough time in surprising ways. And so we're getting back to some basic truths that we can find good news to hang on to each and every day. So I hope that this is an encouragement to you. It certainly is to me as we begin this new series, Good News in Tough Times. Today's message is when your world is falling apart. Sometimes uh, with all the changes, I mean, it feels like we're in this quaking of our whole globe, uh, shaking and a quaking. We don't know when this shaking is gonna stop. We don't know if it's gonna be like an uh, uh, earthquake shaking us financially, uh, an earthquake shaking us relationally and physically, and even to the point of shaking us to the point where we might uh, succumb to the, the disease. And so there's this inner shaking that's, like tremors and we wonder, is it getting bigger? Is it getting bigger or is it getting smaller? Is it going away? And we have people that have thoughts all over the map on that one. But if you're like uh, so many that I hear from, uh, this is a time where we began to feel even surprised that this, as the weeks accumulate and the days accumulate, surprised by the stress, surprised by the tough times. And so, I don't know, let me just ask you, does it ever feel like your world is falling apart? Personally, it's, we're looking at the world, but how, how about your world? Did it feel like you're falling apart financially? Uh, does it feel like you're falling apart uh, emotionally? How about relationally as we're uh, kind of sequestered together in this uh, social distancing, sheltering in, in place? Does your shelter in place feel like a shelter or does it feel like relationally there's more tension at this time and the stresses are increasing? And so there could be all kinds of features there. All of our habits and patterns have been shifted and so the, the normal things that prop us up are gone. You know, even going to the gym was not an option and so maybe physically your world is kind of shaken up. Uh, my workout lately from my home office is, uh, I've got this regular workout, I, I, I'm actually counting the laps. It's from my home office to the refrigerator and back. And uh, that's not a really good thing. So can we count chewing? Chewing's exercise, right? And maybe physically we feel like our, our world is falling apart a little bit. And so there's all kinds of ways this hits us and we need to focus in on the good news. No matter how tough times might be, there's always good news that God brings our direction and we can focus there and I'd like to help you in that. So on the screen, when your good times turn into tough times, hang on to good news. That is going to be pretty much the focus of the entire series. I'm not sure how many sessions this is gonna be just yet, but we're gonna enjoy this for several weeks together. Today we're gonna to look at uh, when the world fell apart, literally. The worst day of human history. The worst day of history that is recorded in the Bible. We're gonna go back to the beginning, not to the very, very beginning, but to Genesis chapter three, when we look at the day that the world fell apart. And we're gonna learn that even on that day, there's good news. So point number one is this. One day, our whole world fell apart. 
Now before we turn the page from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 into Genesis chapter 3, let's just get some perspective here. So in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we're going to hear God say in his creation repeatedly, um, it was good. We're going to hear that phrase six times, it was good. After it creates this and it creates that, it creates that, he says it was good. Then there's a seventh time after it creates uh, Adam and Eve that that he says, and it was very good. Right after he says he's created the human pair in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so their relational connectivity even is imaging the relational connectivity connectivity of God in the Trinity. And it's very good how we can bring glory to God in our lives, and in their experience, it was very good. They're experiencing intimacy with God, intimacy with one another in a perfect world, and it was very, very good. Then when we go to chapter two, we back up again and kind of retrace the steps with another theme. And in chapter two, in that theme, as we retrace some of those steps, God introduces a necessary component for a world to be very good. He introduces the one rule, and only one rule, that is a necessary component for true free agency. In other words, this is a world of love that God has created, and for a world of love to be actually free choice, there has to be the ability or the opportunity to not choose to love. So in other words, God is not setting up a forced love me world. It's you can choose to love me. So there's one rule I'm setting up. And he sets it up this way. You can eat from any tree in the garden except one. And so it's interesting because there's two very powerful trees. There's one tree which is the tree of life and they could eat freely from the tree of life even. But there's only one tree they could not eat from and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the one rule, they could eat from anything, they could do anything, they could glorify God in any way, except for this one thing, don't do this, that would dishonor God, was set up, and it sets up the free will choice. So we turn from very good, and there's the setup, there's one thing to kind of make sure that you're free, there's a real option here to decide not to love me, and we turn the page to chapter three, and then the whole world falls apart. Now before we read chapter three, I wanna just say, we usually think of tough times as very seasonal, very short, and then we get back to normal times. But in the biblical framework, it was beautiful and perfect before chapter three, and then the whole world falls apart, so we've only gotten this far in the story, and then the rest of the Bible is about tough times until the very end, the last chapter, when we finally get through all the tough times and we get to the completed solution where God has promised something, he's done something, and he fulfills it to complete restoration, and it's all completed at the end, the rest of the Bible is continuing to choose to hang on to the good news that God provides in the middle of tough times. So what I want us to notice, first of all, is that tough times are nothing new, Tough times are things that you're going to experience in your life, and we are in them right now. And if you don't feel like this is any big deal for you, don't worry, you're gonna experience tough times in the future, and so this message is very relevant to you uh, 
to hang on to because it's coming where you need to hang on to good news that comes from God because the rest of the story over and over again is hanging on to God through the tough times to make it through. So there's the good news. If we come to God, we're gonna make it through it. We're gonna make it through to the, it's very good again. But the rest of it, in a sense, is a test, much like the Genesis 3 test where Adam and Eve failed and even then God provides good news. The rest of it is a test for us and we are in a test right now. So that's an important perspective to hang on to. So let's take a look at tough times as we turn the page to the day that the whole world fell apart and learn some things. We're gonna turn to Genesis chapter three and just read the first seven verses to begin with. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may, eat from, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good, good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, I'm gonna just need to summarize a lot and explain a lot quickly to get through what we need to focus on. In one day, with one decision, this was the game changer, as I said, for the rest of human history until God finally completes it all and brings us a new heavens and a new earth that is restored fully. And we are living in a fallen world because of this one day, this one decision, this game changer. Now before we move on, let me just bring this home to us. Have you ever experienced a day like that? With one decision like that? Was a total game changer for you that your whole world began to fall apart? That you began to feel a shame and a guilt and everything start to unravel and your whole world felt like it was falling apart? Many of us have. We understand what that's like even in our own story. And here we're looking at the story of humanity and it's much like that in the whole story. And what God is going to do in the whole story is something he can do in our own story. And so we need to take this to heart as we learn from it together. So the game changer, it changed from perfection and harmony and peace and love and unbelievable intimacy with each other and with God to a brokenness, a hurt-filled relationship with an intimacy that was broken with God. And then uh, it's so much larger than that as you read the rest of the Bible, you discover that this one evil uh, created a split from heaven and earth. Uh, uh, Adam and Eve could no longer inter interact with God in the same way. They're 
kicked out of the garden. They can't hear God and talk to God face to face like they used to after they're kicked out of the garden. And we are introduced into the world in which we're familiar with. And it's a fallen world. Let's jump to verse eight. Chapter three, verse eight. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Now let's just talk about, this is really strange. Something has obviously happened in Adam and Eve to the point where they feel ashamed, they feel a guilt, they feel exposed, they want to hide from God. They've never wanted to hide from God before. God was their loving father, intimate relationship. It was a joy to interact with him. And now they hear him coming. I wonder what that sounded like. <laughs> and they hide. Good luck with that. We're still trying to do it. We're trying to hide from God as if he can't see, as if he doesn't know. And when he's asking this question, where are you? God knows. He knows precisely where they are. He's not asking a question for his information as if he doesn't know where they are. He's asking the question for their reorientation, for them to recognize things have changed. Do you see what's going on here? Where are you? What's going on with you? And I think many of us have experienced that where God asks us that question and, and we start to wonder, why are we here and how did I get here and how do I get out of here and how do I get out of this thing, this mess that I've created for myself? So something has changed inside of them. They feel shame, they feel exposed. They don't wanna see God, they hide. Jumping down to verse 10. This is Adam speaking, answering the question, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave to me to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So on the screen, let's just put a summary statement up there. Their world was in shambles, a world of fear, confusion, shame, guilt, embarrassment, and chaos. It's in shambles. And add to that list, now they're playing the, the blame game. They're shifting the blame, pointing the finger away from themselves. In fact, Adam is even blaming God, the, the woman you gave to be with me. She, blaming the woman, gave me some fruit. And they're playing the blame game. How do you think their conversations went that night? <laughs> After the blame game, there's a lot of hurt. After the attack, your character, it was your fault. It's your fault, no, it's your fault. It's a very difficult world, a changed world from the world they lived in before. Now, even though it's that horrible and death is on its way and there's a spiritual death first because they're gonna be kicked out of the garden and separated from God, that's a spiritual death they're gonna experience and every human is gonna be in that experience um, until that is resolved. And that big change has taken place. It's terrible. There's still... Good news, point number two. On that very day, 
God was still good. And that's important for us to focus on. So as our world feels like it's in tough times, there's always good news. God is not surprised. He's not surprised by what happened here with Adam and Eve. He's not surprised by what has happened in our world right now. He's there for us, and he is still good. We're gonna jump down later in the chapter first to verse 21, where we see how good he is. When the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife. And he clothed them. Now this is not just a, I'm really not into the fig leaf thing. Your fashion is really not gonna be adequate. This is not skins are better than fig leaves fashion statement answer. This is a true provision from God. And so the first way that God shows that he is good is God provided. Now what is it that he's providing? He's not just providing shelter from cold, They did just fine, naked before. He's providing something bigger than that. He's providing forgiveness. Now, just in case you don't see that, let me just ask you this. From a Genesis standpoint, when was the first death that is so evident? It's right here. The Lord God made clothing from skins. That meant an animal had to give up its skin, which meant an animal lost its life. And now the skin of an animal is bringing a covering of protection over the pair of humans. This is the first picture of the sacrificial system that was gonna fill the whole old covenant later, that God accepts the death of an animal to bring protection to the human pair that is ranked higher in his created order and he's doing something good for the human pair here. And so we have the picture of atonement. Now the picture of atonement and forgiveness and sacrifice that is the covering of forgiveness at the vicarious payment of something else, uh, that is huge good news, but it's not the first picture of good news that we see in this chapter. So that's huge, but it's peanuts compared to what we're about to look at next. So God provided, yes, but be on your outline, God promised. And what he promised is even bigger than just this provision of, here, I'm gonna still love you, I'm gonna still provide for you, I'm still your God, we're, we're good and I'm doing this good for you, now you have some choices to make. Are you gonna see me as good or are you gonna see me as evil? Are you gonna trust me or are you gonna trust the serpent? Who's done good for you here? Now let's take a look at how God promised. In Genesis 3, 14 through 15, we read this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And isn't this great? Now some people listening to this, they totally agree. Yeah, this is amazing, this is great. And if you've never really understood what that means, you're just going, no, this is weird. What do you mean great? I don't get it. I don't get how the story of a snake, the story of the first pair, and how there's gonna be some offspring of the woman that's gonna crush the serpent's head. What's the big deal here? What's going on here? And that's what I want to investigate together, and it's super huge. It's what the scholars call the first gospel. 
The first gospel, the proto-evangelion. Evangelion is the word we get the word uh, evangelism from, spreading the good news. Proto as in first, prototype, it's the first type. And so proto-evangelion is the first gospel. That's what scholars call this. This is the first time the gospel is explained and it was explained before Adam and Eve, before they could understand it, before we would understand it thousands of years later. Who's the he? the offspring of the woman, and who's the you? We need to talk about that. So Revelation 12.9 helps give us a real quick jump start. In Revelation 12.9, we discover the identity of the serpent. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. So very clearly, the serpent is not just a snake. Uh, he disguises himself as a serpent and he's masquerading as just a, a, a wise, cunning animal, but he has uh, deceived. So the first gospel is this. There's going to be a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent while the serpent bruises his heel. What is that all about? And so it's good news that God has promised. It's the hope that we can hang on to. So let's move forward and investigate that a bit. Point number three, one day God made it right again. And this is the first prediction of how God made it right again. Now, isn't the phrase seed of the woman fascinating? Now, if it's not fascinating to you, I want to make it fascinating for you. Here's the thing. The offspring of the woman or the seed of the woman is a non-Jewish way of talking. And yet, this is a Jewish book. And in the Old Testament, all the genealogies are tracing the offspring of the man. Every one of them. In fact, the whole structure of Genesis is based on the tables of genealogies that have been passed down. So it's fascinating that the tables of genealogies existed for Moses to build off the story to fill in the blanks. So this story was so impactful to Adam and Eve that they told the story to their children and began to track the offspring genealogies and they tracked it in a typical Jewish way from man to man to man to man. But the, this is an unusual expression because there's gonna be a seed of the woman who will crush the head of the snake. So let me just jump to the conclusion here. This is the first description and prediction of who the he is. The he is going to be the seed of the woman, not a man. And this is clearly Jesus who was born of a virgin, who had no earthly father. He was the son of man. That was his favorite self-designation that wasn't a loaded term, that he loaded it. And it could give him more time to explain who he is. He's the son of man, but he's also the son of God. So he's the seed of the woman without an earthly father. He is a heavenly father that supernaturally enabled him to be born of a woman. And so he is the seed of the woman who came to crush the serpent's head. Good stuff. I enjoy the, how the whole Bible is fit together. Now, this is one of the reasons why I, I view this as, as when we say, hang on to good news in the middle of tough times. I'm not just telling you to hang on to wishful thinking. When I say hang on to hope, it's solid. We have a solid hope. It's like an anchor for us. The reason why it's an anchor is when God promises, it's as good as done because God never breaks a promise. And we have a track record that we can look back on as we look at how this 
has traced forward and traced forward and traced forward and there's developments along the story and along the way and the hope grows and grows and grows and then we get to the New Testament and he arrives and then we get to the final scene where the serpent thinks he wins. He bites the heel and poison is deadly. And yet by the very poison of the serpent, Jesus takes into himself the sins of the world and dies and the serpent thinks he has won, but by the very bite and defeat of Jesus, he resurrects from the dead and is able to crush the authority of the serpent. And so it's really, to be able to see it in history, unfold, unfold, and more and more prophecies unfold, this hope comes true And so we can project forward. He's never failed on any promises so far. So when we hope for something, it's not we wish for something. We hope for this solid thing that is coming because when God says it, it is so. It's just a matter of time. Hang on to the good news in your tough times. Now, point number three. One day, God made it right again. Let's just put all of this together. If Satan could only bruise his heel and he thought he won and Jesus by the apparent defeat brings ultimate victory, where are we now? Well, like I said before, we're still in the tough times but it's like victory day the main battle has already taken place. But we still, uh, we still haven't had the complete mop-up operation. And Paul writes something fascinating about the mop-up operation that we're in right now. In Romans chapter 16, verse 20, Paul writes this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. That fits with everything we've been studying so far. But then there's a turn and a twist. And he says, under your feet. Now, we know that it's gonna be under the feet of the he that crushes him under the foot of Jesus who won the victory at the crucifixion. His death and his resurrection defeated the kingdom of darkness and it released his kingdom of light. But now, in releasing the kingdom of light, his life merges with our life and the offspring of the woman, the seed of the woman, includes us. Because we are now merged with Jesus and we have authority with Jesus to put a crushing defeat on the serpent himself. So we have the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So we are carrying Jesus' victory forward. He says, all authority I've given to you. You are seated with me in the heavenly realms and you're using this authority to expand the kingdom of light in a very tough time world. As we continue to love, we continue to hang on to the good news, we continue to pray and call down his kingdom will on this dark earth and we see lives being transformed and changed in the middle of a global pandemic. We're seeing this across the globe right now where churches are coming alive in new ways to trust God in new ways to shift the way we think to reach more people. Um, It's an amazing truth in our times but we need to personalize it for us right now.
the tough time that you're in? What are you going to do to hang on to the good news and be part of the answer, crushing the bad news, trusting the truth and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that's gonna win as opposed to the deceiver and the one who gives you seductive power if you trust him? And he says, the victory that's eternal is grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So in the middle of your tough day, hang on to the good news, turn to God, and he covers you in the protection of forgiveness through the atonement of Jesus Christ, which the old Old Testament sacrificial system pointed to Jesus as the fulfillment and reality that replaces it all. By the forgiveness of Jesus, your life can be washed clean. You can receive his spirit. You can have the authority that is his life and his kingdom in your life to walk in the middle of a tough time and hang on to good news. And Jesus is going to bring you through it. And that is good news. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for the power of your word spoken so long ago, carried forward from generation to generation, writer to writer, person to person, good news spreading in a contagious way, right down to the explosion of the kingdom of light after the resurrection of Jesus in a movement that's taking uh, and changing lives rapidly. Help us to be part of that. We turn to you. We're experiencing tough times. We've got emotional difficulties, financial difficulties. We've got personal difficulties. We've got stresses that uh, are amplified during these tough times, but it's nothing new. You are still good. You're still asking us to trust you, and we come to you. Provide for us. We thank you that you have. We thank you that you've given us promises. We hang on to those promises. We pray with your authority into those promises and we ask you to help us to hang on to a solid hope, an anchor in heaven, and help us to walk in a way that honors you and that we'll walk our way right into your presence forever and ever. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're gonna be participating in communion together. There'll be a little bit of a break here to prepare uh, some elements for you. I would encourage you to grab a cracker and some juice if you have it, and it's all about remembering Jesus, and we'll lead you through it uh, right in a, a moment. So prepare for that if you'd like. Thank you for joining us, and I can't wait to see you again next week for more good news in tough times. <laughs>